This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. So we're here today on the Edge of Innovation. We're talking with Greg Arnett. Currently, you know, you've got a new title, but I'm going to call you the founder of Sonian. But some stuff has happened, and we'll get into that and, and all that. But you're an entrepreneur of a long time, pretty much probably your whole life. Yeah, it's been 30 years thinking about ideas in the tech space, creating companies to solve problems, and moving on to the next thing. Well, let, let's talk about, like, business technology. What's fascinating out there now? What's sort of on your, you know, your radar? You're sort of a, if I dare, visionary. You know, I think you're. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. But, so, what are you what are you seeing out there? Uh, you know, I've been reading some of your articles. I'll, I'll go into those if you if you don't remember some of the things. But yeah, so from a business technology perspective, looking at everything's you know a lot of security stuff, mm-hmm. especially email collaboration security. That's also part of my job function mm-hmm. to be a security evangelist for mm-hmm. a company or, or, or tech evangelist on data protection and, and security. I'm interested in the ever-evolving set of technology building blocks that are being put out there by companies like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google Mm -hmm. that can help folks like us go and solve a business problem faster. Mm -hmm. So every six to nine months, there's a new service that we can take advantage of that just means you don't have to write more code. And, you know, at some point down the road, so tied into that is serverless types of ideas, so Mm -hmm. functions as a service or Lambda functions Mm -hmm. called Amazon or OpenWisk from IBM where we can get you know, really pure about the software we're writing, not even thinking about how it has to run mm-hmm. in the environment, right. and just focus on the business logic. So you know, low-code, no-code environment, mm-hmm. app environments, I think are really interesting and going to make a comeback. I remember doing tons of those Microsoft Access web, app- mm-hmm. not web app- applications mm-hmm. that didn't really require much technology for right. but right. solving business problem. Yep. I think that's going to be coming back in full force. Interested in the cloud building blocks mm-hmm. and how we can take advantage of them. So I I don't know if you wrote an article about this, but what do you think about all the malware and viruses and all the attack vectors that are that are open now? Is it going to continue to be a problem, or is it going to level off and re- decline? It's sort of our it seems like the wild west in some ways. Yeah, I think it's a great way to characterize it. I think it's going to continue. It almost feels like an arms race or you know mutually assured destruction. Especially now that machine learning and AI stuff is can be used for good and for bad, mm-hmm. so it's gonna <laughs> right. the black hats and the white hats are gonna be doing it out in, in cyberspace, right? Getting smarter on each other, right? And we'll continue to see I think exploits and vulnerabilities, unfortunately, right? And we'll get smarter. Hopefully, we just shore up the defenses on all fronts, you know, protecting data at rest, protecting data in transit. Training people on stuff, mm-hmm. uh, human behavior gets in the way a lot. Yeah, that's the biggest risk. Where, where problems can happen. Right. And so there's lots of, I think, opportunities to keep solving these problems and, and leverage massive data sets and leverage machine, machine learning frameworks like TensorFlow mm-hmm. to do good. And if you want to step on the dark side, I guess you can do all that stuff <laughs> and cause problems. It's true. <laughs> That's true. Now, are you gaga over blockchain? Very interested in it and trying to figure out what the business problem to solve. Is there a problem to solve? Is there something you can do to make 
blockchain work better? Uh-huh. Can you build business solutions on, on the blockchain technologies right. that somehow do something very different than what we have available today? I just came across a, what they call a collaboration system built on top of the blockchain mm-hmm. to foster open, but open yet encrypted and audited collaboration. So it's like a Google Docs equivalent mm-hmm. built on top, of, on top of the block stack. Okay. Uh, okay, this is interesting. These things are starting to show up. You know, I think Office 365 and G Suite are very popular and right. not going to go anywhere, but if you want to kind of roll your own and do it in a blockchain like a way, mm-hmm. there, there's these new platforms that are coming out that probably a technologist can subscribe to, right. but not a business person. Well, I tend to be a reductionist. I reduce things. I try to, in, in my head, reduce them to the simplest things. So let me ask, is, is blockchain, isn't it just a, it's not even federated, but it's, an, it's a bunch of people, a bunch of nodes recording that block, and they all agree on it. And because there's 99 blocks that agree on it and one that doesn't, they're going to discard the one. So if you wanted to, I know this is at the scale we're talking about, it's not reasonable. If I could coerce the 99 to change all of the blocks, that credibility could be broken. So, you know, we, we store the number 25 in the block. And if I can convince every one of those 99 or 100 blocks owners to go in and change it to 26, I have now changed reality. So that, that rolls me back to the point of a blockchain is to give some authenticated this is what the answer truly is or what the information truly is. Am I reducing it too far or is that what blockchain is? From what my understanding and um, newbie yep. this, yep. it sounds right, the open, transparent, distributed ledger yep. kind of concept. So transactions are in the transparent, so right. to speak. And so, yeah, so if you can convince those 99 computers or right. nodes yeah. that you have a different version of reality. Truth, yeah. In theory, that should not be possible. Right. Given mathematical sequences that require right. to recompute re- the, the blockchain, right. so to speak. So I guess that's the countermeasure of it's not in theory supposed to be possible. Right. We often say that and we have to yeah. find <laughs> that. I guess it was. <laughs> exactly. So now then we say, okay, well, that's great. So I have a public ledger. That's great. Now, a lot of people seem to infer that it's anonymous, but the blockchain is inherently referential from most of the implementations I've seen that will say that, oh, Greg put that number in 10 days ago at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I think, again, I'm exactly like you. I'm sort of like trying to understand it. And I'm nowhere near an expert. And so people that are listening can correct us or me. <laughs> Please do so. But it doesn't seem anonymous at all. In fact, it seems non-anonymous because I can know where that data entered the thing. I might not be able to identify you. That's yeah. ultimately it. I think it's, my goal is that it's supposed to get rid of that problem of anonymous stuff. Right. Which is what people get concerned around. Right. And you know, especially kind of in the social media aspect of things. And I haven't seen anything that blockchain can solve in that world right, right now. But Maybe down the road, a future version of Twitter or Facebook will be based on that kind of concept. So right. you have authenticated entities, not bots or whatever. Right. So, yeah, we could we could get to the root of the messaging or where the message originated. Yeah. That it came from Paul or it came from Greg. And we know that because when it got introduced, everybody journaled that. Right. And yeah. All the attributes were journaled and it can't be tampered with. Right. Can't, should not be able to go back and 
alter that record. Right. Because that's going to become bedrock knowledge, a source of truth, so to speak. Right, exactly. I think that's what appeals to me about this whole concept is the source of truth that can't be altered. Mm -hmm. It's a theme that I deal with in, in my work life is we provide a service that has immutable records mm -hmm. of conversations mm -hmm. and audit trail right. so that we can attest that this is what was said. Yep. This is what it was said. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been tampered with. And right. There's all the infrastructure around that that supports that, right. that, that way of operating. So switching gears just a slight little bit here, did you buy Bitcoin 15 years, 10 years ago? No. <laughs> I mean, neither, it man. It was just like, yeah. I thought about it. I thought, oh, I should just throw up an old machine and mine some. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I've, yeah, I've, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Like, why didn't I buy McDonald's.com? Well known story of person in England that lost a hard drive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's scary. Are they really? That's what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. Wow. Interesting about the, and I guess thinking about Bitcoin and the wallets, it just it feels like the way we think about bearer bonds. If you, mm -hmm. have, if you have that thing, mm -hmm. it's yours. That's and, good. Good analogy. Who's gonna? You can't really question it. I, guess. I mean, I guess you could go into the courts or legal systems to sort of. If you have it, it's yours. Right. So, it's a redeemable. That's it. That's the redeemableness right. of it. It's it's like a gold coin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of the analogy that we should be thinking about with these. Why you should protect them? And right. Is it Coinbase or one of these ones were hacked? And, yeah. That's scary. Well, I, you can just go back and trace the transaction, but no, if that whoever has it on now can just redeem it on the exchange, and they, now they can benefit from it. Yeah, that is going to be interesting because you could see, you know, somebody say, "Well, I never transferred that to them," or you know, right. it, it's an interesting paradigm shift because we don't understand it. Right. We really don't. What's the implication of it? You know, if I put a gold coin on the table here and walk out, and you take it, there's no trace that I had it before. So. Bitcoin, I think, knows that I had it before, and now you have it. Right. I think. That's what I, that's what I assume. Yeah. And I was talking to a person who's much more versed in this subject, and they described to me why that makes why you would think that, but how it would be almost really difficult to actually trace that transaction oh, okay. down the road, which surprised me. Interesting. So, okay. Well, we got some reading to do. Works to, that was what I thought, well, how can you even steal these things? Because there must be a record that you had this at once. Right. How is it? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. It's a conundrum. A conundrum wrapped up inside of a what? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of opportunity. I think reinventing or reimagining current business solutions around the blockchain way of thinking. Yep. And the distributed ledger concept. Mm hmm. Contract management. Someone was even suggesting, you know, think about DNS records on top of a blockchain environment. Yeah, it's. I hear you. You know, I hear you, but I. It just isn't solid. You know, it's not something I can grab onto yeah. yet because it's. It seems like it has to be something that needs veracity over time. And it's like, yeah, DNS. That sounds interesting, but who cares? I mean, you know what the DNS yeah. was six months ago. I think DNS crypt. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's where you actually encrypt your DNS traffic mm -hmm. so that somebody can't get in the middle and they can can't also just see where you're trying to go and see oh, where you're trying to resolve. Oh. That's a really nice thing. That's cool. That That's really cool. But yeah, and we're, we're doing the, with a lot of our clients, we use something called Cisco Umbrella, mm -hmm. which is basically they bought open DNS oh, right. and yeah. they maintain a, their own DNS servers. 
So rather than going to you know the root servers or anything, you just use theirs. And so if you've got a bad site, they write it down as a bad site and they won't let you get there. Mm-hmm. And so the, they're the arbiter. I mean, they could be the arbiter of taste. You know, they could say, no, we don't want you to go here. That's the evil side of it. But what they're doing is for malware and exploits and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And they can even do it for, I don't want gambling sites being in my network. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a cool concept and it saved a lot of our customers bacon because they, they don't know where they're going. And then there's an ad that shows up that has malware in it. Well, this blocks that ad. So really cool yeah. stuff. Yeah. It can be really valuable, especially for consumers and, and small businesses. Yeah. Yeah, well, and even for even big, big companies, because what's happening is, but the reason why Cisco could do it is somebody has to keep up with the changes as it, as the, the slew rate changes throughout the day, you know, things, this site got infected. So they say, okay, you can't go there now. And then it wears off and that site's no longer infected and they take it out of the list. So some cool stuff there. So what else, what else are you doing? What's your days look like now that you've sold a company, you work Remotely, I would imagine. Or you got you probably have the same offices, right? Yeah, we have the same office. We're the one of two locations now for Barracuda in the Boston area. Okay. And the plan is to keep it the same way okay. for as far as I know for the foreseeable future. And I spend a lot of my time on a focus of uh, technology evangelism mm-hmm. and also business development for the company. Okay, cool. Uh, the product area that, that Sony was responsible for. So I'll be in Toronto next week meeting with partners. Oh, cool. Going to CloudFest in Germany the week after. You are traveling a lot. It used to be the called World Hosting Days. Okay. I, I didn't realize it got renamed. So okay. I've been to WHD a few times, but it's called CloudFest now. And I mean, I'll be giving a presentation on pros and cons of implementing DMARC at InfoSec in Orlando. Wow. The week after that. So it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's you are bad. busy. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's a wide variety of activity. keeps me close to the end customer. Mm-hmm. And that's what I crave is hearing the feedback. You know, right. What problems are you wrestling with? Right. And you're always thinking, what's the best way you can help solve them solve the problem for that customer. Very cool. At Sony, and we were sort of had the indirect model, so mm-hmm. we sold to a partner. Right, so you were one step removed. And we always the challenge of what is the end user, what is right. the end business need? And, right. You know, oftentimes our partners are really good at translating, but in many cases, we were the domain expert for the partner in this area that mm-hmm. we focused on email archiving kind of stuff. We had our ideas about what was needed, but we always wanted to hear from the end customers. Mm-hmm. Now with Barracuda having hundreds of thousands of end customers, there's a wealth of opportunities. Right. With that. Will they change the model to be less partner-driven and more direct, or is that? I think the, the model's going to stay basically the same. Mm-hmm. We have a pretty diversified go-to-market engine. There's an MSP focus, mm-hmm. Barracuda MSP. There's now Barracuda OEM, which is what Sony and what I is. see. And then there's the traditional channels, mm-hmm. and Rexo, that they do for cool. security and data protection products. Do you need a website that actually works and is easy to update? Save Your Labs is a Boston web services firm that cares for your business and your team. We solve problems so you can focus on what you do best. Just follow the link in the show notes and enter code WEB1 for more information. So do you think you've seen this, that we're collecting all of this data over time? And how relevant is it that you have a message from 10 years ago in your archive? Yeah, it's different people would, would have different opinions. I appreciate having a durable mm-hmm. archive of things. I, right. I love using Gmail and uh-huh. typing into the search box and just seeing yep. conversation histories and, 
if something happens to be 10 years old that's relevant, I think that's valuable. Right. And it doesn't cost me any money to save it. It's not dragging down my productivity to have it around. Right. It's there if I want it. I'm personally not worried about discovery of stuff. Sure. I like having an infinite kind of repository behind the scenes. Right. I just recently stumbled upon a USB drive that I thought was empty. It turned out it had my PST files from oh, wow. like a couple different jobs ago. Uh-huh. I should just load this up into the into the <laughs> into my client so that yep. I have an even further longer term library back in case I run into people I sure. have communicated with and that kind of stuff. So Interesting. It sounds a little bit back to pack rat, but it's not. I right. think it's valuable. I well it's relationships. It's, it's relationships. It's, it's, I only use this to train future AI things and uh-huh. analyze my communication patterns. Right. And, help me do better going forward, that kind of stuff. Now, for businesses, there's pros and cons of retaining everything mm-hmm. forever. Sometimes right. you can't, or they shouldn't. They have thoughtful policies on how to age stuff out nicely with the mm-hmm. trail so that you know what you got rid of and can defend it in court kind of thing. Some companies are still very rigorous around. They don't want anything past a year. They don't mm-hmm. want anything after six months, and some are the opposite. Mm-hmm. They see the value in keeping it and then be able to correlate it with other records in the company, like what's happening in the CRM, what's happening in the... ERP, what's happening in the HRIS system. Mm-hmm. You start to get this wealth of analytics that can help drive better businesses right. down the road. So I think that's a very interesting area to work on in the future. What is your thoughts on sort of, I mean, you're being very thoughtful about keeping your history of information. You know, so you've sort of gotten this history, you put the old PSTs in there. And, and I'm struggling with some of the concepts around like family history and old photographs and things like that. There was a recent, I saw another YouTube thing, Norm MacDonald was talking about, you know, when you talk about your great grandfather, you have one picture of him. And he said in 10 years, in the typical Norm MacDonald, you're going to have a million pictures of your great grandfather and everything he said, you know, <laughs> everything, moment by moment. And so, as I've noticed with our kids growing up, they don't have, they never met my father. You know, he passed away long before they came along. It's out of sight, out of mind. At some point, they may think about it and say, you know, they get the nostalgia, maybe in their 30s or 40s or something, and want to go after it. But it's all hooked, it's on a disc somewhere, you know, in a closet after maybe I've passed away. And it's a very interesting conundrum. That, and that's just for normal families. But then you have these people that contribute intellectually, that, that do something more than, you know, they write a book or they do all this different stuff. And it used to be that you'd go in and they'd get all their papers and look through them and maybe publish things. Well, now they're on discs somewhere. I've thought, I've got this notion for a business of, you know, sort of perpetuity. How do you store stuff for perpetuity? Because, you know, that they may not be relevant for 20 years. It's just an, an interesting thing because, you know, do you just say, okay, somebody died. They were, they wrote, a, you know, several different books. They impacted a bunch of lives. Delete. It's so easy to store, but how do you perpetuate it? And then how do you also make it available in the universe so that people can discover it? It's an interesting, you know, conundrum. Of, it doesn't seem like it should be all deleted and thrown away on an old hard drive. Right. Yeah, it's funny you mention this. It's something I think about similarly from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I ran into a, a local tech seed investor who mm-hmm. was describing a similar set of concerns that he had. Mm-hmm. He was querying me about whether things I did at Sony could help solve that. And mm-hmm. Very, very tangentially made. Right. It wasn't as encompassing as video and audio. Right. And harvesting seed, seed records. In some sense, I think like Facebook wants to be that at some level as well. You know, they want to be the source of everything, but to self-serve at their own. Right. And then there's the Internet Archive Projects. Yeah. All these different, whether they're 
dot orgs or right. paid for services. It's a memory box. You can put all your stuff into a oh. like all your physical media and ship it off and they digitize it. Oh, and there's another hmm. that has to be part of what you're talking Dr- about. Sure. Yeah, I'm doing the scanning of all the photos, That's and then I'm wondering why am I doing this? Yeah. Because is anybody ever going to look at them? <laughs> and then analyzers will tell you who's on it and how yeah. old they are, and, right. and give you more details around it that makes it searchable. That, right. That index that you really want because it's the index that's really going to be important. Right. Of all this content that will probably live on the cloud, or, and then when the cloud becomes passe, it'll live on a right. super high-powered box you have locally that will never die. It's right. Durable and you know, the pendulum's always swinging, right? Right. Well, I remember, I don't know, probably in my teens or 20s when I learned about all of the archives at Ellis Island. My family came through Ellis Island. So it was like, wow, that's really cool. Well, now we have the same thing, but but it's it's not stored in a ratified place, you know, to say, oh, this is where it's stored. But we have it to the nth degree. You know, we have all these details of these people's lives. Yeah. And... I just worry about where's where's it going to go. How do you uh, pass it on? How do you uh, yeah. access? Ensure how do you sort of donate it to the public? Right, exactly. Records. Right. Uh, the Mormon Church does a lot of this in terms mm-hmm. of records online and so for yep. searchable databases. Uh, but they're only doing it to the to the genealogical. That's their interest is right. genealogies. But I'm saying, you know, me playing baseball when I was you know 15 years old in a in a league. There's pictures of that. Does that matter to anybody? I don't even know. The other thing that I also struggle with a lot is a sense of place, is that you, there's not really a good place that says, here's what's here today, but here's what's here. Here's what was here 20 years ago or 10 years ago. or thir-. And the less we do of that, the more we're losing because you just don't know. There's The history of it is gone, I guess. Yeah. So those are some things that I'm struggling thinking through is like, well, what, what do I do? Questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about that kind of stuff and anticipating maybe things that you could create that would help others sort of who are figuring this out or, or have, a, have a pain point in that area. There's something off, there's something there. There's a couple different things that are coming, you know, vectors into the, like that scanning of the media stuff mm-hmm. as a service. You don't right. worry about it. There's a lot of friction to do it. Yep. No one has the time. It becomes one of those rainy day things you never get yep, to. Yep, exactly. And then who pays for the storage? And, right. And how do you pass it on to right. your heirs? how you search across it, analyze it, and there's privacy issues. So it's a lot yeah, of things to consider. It is. Uh, it's it's kind of uh, subject. Yeah. So, well, maybe if, if you have any thoughts on that, let me know. I'm very interested in that. Yeah, so. I mean, connecting to this other person that was yeah. interested in this and more from, like, wants to use a service right. like that because they don't have it and they're worried about records for their kids and their ancestors right. and so forth. My grandmother and her sister were very much into genealogy. Right going to cemeteries and rubbing gravestones mm-hmm. and, and they actually wrote books for our for us family oh that's you know, that's cool that's yeah. that's really cool and it's really a really nice thing to go back and look at right occasionally and that's all different now with online versions of everything yeah so it's really more the index and searchability i guess yep. that's where some innovation can happen right as well as removing the friction of digitizing the physical assets right that we have all around us Yeah, I think one of the coolest things that I've ever seen is the Google Face movies. You know, where Picasso, they introduced it, where you could do a person over time. It's really cool. You know, it's really familial, if you yeah. will. And not, you know, even you're mentioning what was the place looking like over time. Mm-hmm. Like Street View. Right. If it's been a long, right. long visited place, you can go back in time right. and look at it. Yeah, and, and that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But I can always remember there's this department store called Big N that was at the one end of town that we used to go and I used to buy my models there, plastic oh. models there. 
and it's gone. You know, and if you're not 50 years old, you have no concept that that's, you know, it's a Kmart or something. And then now it's probably closed. And I just, it's really like, what's there? Even this building, this used to be Baybank. Oh, wow. And the room we're next to, there's a safe that's the size of a car. That's where they put the checks that they were clearing every night. Wow. They were physically clearing the checks. And this, this office is where they did that. Yeah. So it's like, that's a cool piece of history. And that's not anywhere except in our heads, you know, yeah. and there's no geo tagging way to deal with that. So yeah. anyway, some of the things that keep me up at night. Yeah, but a place where people who have the memories can to put them in. into the system. Right. And others can add to it or double check yep. or verify. Those like the Googles of the world have the infrastructure for that. Yeah. And potentially the resources like financially right sort of like hey let's just go do it because right. we can <laughs> without having to have a business case right exactly but this is how businesses get born is these kind of conversations is yeah. to say this, this would be really cool and i think what you're pointing out is that the technology now is 20 years ago there would have been oh gosh i mean think about building youtube 20 years ago right it was yeah. like oh my gosh who's going to pay for the storage you know and but now, like you're saying, we can buy these components, these utility computing things, and just do it and see how it grows. It's going to foster a huge amount of exponential experimentation yep. and you know, potentially solve solutions to problems that plague us today that we feel almost are insurmountable. Right. Have you done much, any, anything with the makerspace stuff or being a maker? Because that's really what you were. It's probably a maker. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I haven't. I haven't dabbled in 3D printing or and just feel like that's something I keep selling. That's when I get more free time. I love well, to get involved in that. they are exponentially improving every year. So yeah. it's sort of the longer you can wait, the yeah. better it gets. I didn't mean to say 3D printing is the makerspace, but yeah. I mean, was that a, are you familiar with Twilio? The yep. AP, telephone AP, I was at mm-hmm. their customer conference last year, and they're fostering a lot of hardware innovation mm-hmm. and devices that integrate physical devices that implement their protocols mm-hmm. and so forth. And there was this representative from a consortium of Chinese manufacturers mm-hmm. that sell into the makerspace. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to blank on the name of it right now, but it's added to the show notes. I think okay, sure. Part of home. But it was just like a marketplace of everything you could have wanted. Wow. You can imagine. I don't remember the Edmonds catalog. Yeah, yeah. So it was like that, like on like steroids. Wow. It just, Anything you had an interest in making, you could get the like the parts for that. Wow! Through a marketplace, you know. Oh, that's Ali cool. Type of thing. It's not Banggood. No, it has a it has like a letter has like double E's in it. Oh, okay. Three or four E's. In well, it. I'd like to know that. And so, have have you done much with like Arduinos and Raspberry Pi and things like that? No, I have a couple. I've never I just played around with it. Oh, there's it's some really cool, cool stuff. They're yeah. really cool stuff. Yeah, I have friends that are doing this and they're doing things. Drones and all that kind yeah. of stuff, and even drone racing. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, it's becoming a thing. Is it really? Yeah. So it's, as electronics get lighter, faster. Yeah, well, that's a cool. That's stuff. cool. Yeah, putting on virtual reality, augmented reality. Yeah. Stuff is just watching it kind of from afar. Yeah. Then, you know, maybe I'll take a step in that direction. That's fun. I didn't jump on the Google Glass thing when it was on the first iteration. Right. Maybe the next one. I'll yeah, and around. Intel's got something. Yeah. Some sort of glasses. That's pretty cool. No end of things to get excited about. So we've been talking with Greg Arnett. And what's your official title now? Technical Evangelist Business Development for the OEM Platform. Of? Barracuda. Of Barracuda. Protection. Okay, yeah. Barracuda Data Protection. Yeah, so, all right. All right, okay, cool. Yeah, it's an exciting opportunity. Good friend, great insights. We'll hopefully see you soon again. Thank you for the opportunity to get together. It's Absolutely. been a great conversation. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks.
The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.